Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome an advertising guru, creative director, turned CEO, Venu Gopal Nair. Venu, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ashutosh. Uh, Venu is the founder of Ideascape Communications, as I mentioned, he's a creative director turned CEO. He has a lot of experience in branding, advertising, and he's a design professional, and he's launched some of the most iconic brands in India. So, Venu, before we talk about branding advertising, tell me about some of the iconic brands you've launched. Well, some of them are, uh, you know, one of the things that I can recall straight away is the brand Asianet, mm-hmm. which uh, started off in the south as one of the early satellite channels right. and it meant that language tv was coming into its own mm-hmm. whereas you earlier had a single brand which was you know dominating across all uh, the country and yeah. slowly we've seen this trend of each language having uh, tens if not hundreds of channels in the same language mm. like you have millions of channels on sure. the sure. uh, then one of the other brands which is very controversial is Forever, which mm-hmm. is uh, because it's a fairness cream. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was one of the big competitors to the old Fair and Lovely. And there's been a lot of uh, sort of back and forth about what, uh, you know, whether fairness cream should be there at all. But, oh, the, yes. <laughs> but the point seems to be that for a certain uh, class or a certain set of women who are in the lower socioeconomic class, mm-hmm. Fairness creams are the be-all and end-all of cosmetics for them. Correct. So they're not. So which is why it became one of the largest uh, competitors to Fair and Lovely. And mm. that was one of the things where going up against a large brand like Fair and Lovely was an interesting experience. Mm. All that said, fascinating. And, so, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think uh, these are some of the things that I've. I mean, there are lots of other brands, but each of these stories, I think, is. A sort of continuum because I agree with these you. brands I agree. rise and fall. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So let's move on and let's talk about you as, uh, you know, with all the experience of branding, advertising and communication. You know, uh, when I was with ITC uh, and I was associated with several brand launches, including, including Sundrop Oil, you know, the whole thing was newspapers, little bit of television, magazines, billboards, etc. Today, the entire paradigm has changed. So my question to you is, how has advertising changed and evolved over the years? See, one of the strange things that happened, Ashutosh, Mm -hmm. is that there were two silos. So you had the traditional advertising agencies, which continued along the lines that you spoke about, which Mm -hmm. was TV and press and billboards. And there was this completely new digital agency that came up Mm. because they understood technology far better than the traditional agencies did. Correct. And I think at some point there was a resistance within the older agencies to kind of, we don't understand this medium and we think this will continue. So they continued to do whatever they were doing best and the digital agencies, because they were working with data. And I think that silo still continues. Mm -hmm. There are some of the old agencies or, uh, you know, which have kind of taken over uh, the existing, uh, what do you say, 
brands that were there earlier mm-hmm. but this divide still persists okay whether you like it or not uh, the older agencies do not have not made the transition and the digital agencies uh, continue to focus only on data and not so much the customer very interesting very interesting so uh, as someone who has been associated with so many brands my question to you is what goes into making a successful brand uh, that's a very broad question actually i'll try and get some parts of it in correct and uh, give me your perspective as an advertising person as an advertising person after everything that i've been after about 30 35 years mm-hmm. you know the early thing used to be impact and uh, you know how can you create waves in the market and how can you do something which is but i've come to believe that the single biggest important aspect of brand building is consistency mm-hmm. you need to be present you need to be able to say things consistently to customers and you need to communicate what you stand mm-hmm. and i think those are the points where a brand merely by being around and being seen at a regular place mm-hmm. i think there are two aspects to this you know the old uh, definition of advertising used to be brand building is about awareness i believe it's about building trust and there's this huge gap between awareness and trust mm-hmm. so you are aware for example just to take a regular example uh, a toothpaste brand let's say colgate sure. 95% of india knows colgate mm-hmm. the market share of colgate is 45% mm-hmm. or 42% mm-hmm. so that gap is the awareness versus the trust or the preference factor interesting okay so i think there's a point at which you begin to trust apart from being preferring a certain brand and that is when you begin to put money so i think customers move through a cycle where they start with awareness mm-hmm. but then they see if there are aspects of the brand that they identify with or they want to know about and that's how it builds from there so the journey from awareness to trust is essentially the story that fascinating and a, you know a, a follow up question to that would be that if you look at brands which are i mean i've always said brands are like living beings the more you invest in them the more return they give you but uh, there are some brands of global companies which live on for hundreds of years and some die what is it that these companies do that their brands stay relevant for such long periods colgate being a brand case in point uh it's you yeah relevance i think is one of the things mm-hmm. then so if you are into you know if you were to break now one of the things that happens with branding is everyone tends to look at this as market share versus growth versus competition and stuff like that but if you were to look at it in a completely different way that is i interact with a soap or a shampoo mm-hmm. or uh, any of the other products that i buy for certain points of the day they all have now we have these brands which you consume which is supposed to be the closest anything which you apply on the outside which is like a soap or cream being right outside so the amount of trust is a little less and third are things that you only engage with and you're not actively involved with, in which case there's a different set of things that apply but what i look at is 
the opportunity to use. So let's say a shampoo brand is essentially, you can use it for about two minutes, three times a week. Mm. And the potential for use is essentially what the overall world of that market uh, brand is. I don't think it's market share is only an expression of what that brand or what that entire category has managed to achieve. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to look at some of these in the context of, and there are things, for example, in the early days of advertising, uh, you know, we moved through this whole phase from uh, 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 the letterpress to, you know, the way newspapers are printed to a completely digital edition. And one of the things that I saw go completely out of business was the blocks and nets, mm -hmm. which used to be the only way that ad ads were sent across publications in the 70s and 80s. That is no longer relevant. Mm -hmm. So I think when a product loses relevance for the target market is when it fades. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of brands don't have control over that particular aspect. Of it. Dot matrix printers, for example. Correct. I don't know how relevant they are anymore mm -hmm. because you've got every other kind of, so printing has now become, so can you do it from the cloud? Can you do it with a connection? Can you make it wireless? Uh, Wi-Fi printers have taken over, so you don't need a connection. Mm -hmm. You have, you can print an A4 sheet from your mobile phone, which you couldn't have thought of even 10 years ago. Absolutely. So I think relevance is something that is defined by how markets change. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that the number of, uh, what do you say? <laughs> uh, effects that you can't predict, for example. Mm -hmm. One of the posts that I'd written recently on LinkedIn was about how airports had, you know, sort of uh, ensured that when people were exercising or running, mm -hmm. it would not fall out of the ear. Mm -hmm. One of the problems with the uh, uh, earphones. Correct. But where it started falling out of the ears was in the uh, metro stations in mm -hmm. Japan. So it fell out of the ears and landed on the track and naturally that meant that people weren't able to retrieve it. So mm -hmm. they were losing as many as a thousand uh, airports a year. Wow. So the only way that they could get it, uh, somebody had to go in and then, you know, sort of uh, manage to retrieve it from that. Mm -hmm. So they went to Panasonic and they asked them, can you come up with something? So Panasonic developed a vacuum cleaner, which could suck in the airport Very from good. the tracks. Wow. So here's an instance of a completely unconnected category having a new opportunity simply because a new product got so popular. Amazing. And so <laughs> what a, so what some a great of these I think are happenstance, some of these are relevance, and some of these are simply the way the markets evolve. Absolutely. What a, what a great example. Mm -hmm. So tell me now, uh, for someone who has seen so many years of advertising and creativity, how is technology changing the agencies? I think it's changing agencies uh, in remarkable ways. Mm -hmm. One is, of course, that a whole lot of the work which used to be manual is currently no longer manual. Mm -hmm. So the earlier thing of typesetting, I've been through those days when Letterset was there and you had to trace and you know make the layout. Right. That is gone. Mm -hmm. These days, young people, which I think is a bit of a tragedy because uh, these days people look at type as something that drops down from a menu. They have no connection to the old ways in which type was developed and, you know, the working with type. I have known and worked with art directors who could order type in whichever form. Mm. So if it's a half page ad, they know exactly the size to be ordered, the letting, everything. Mm. And it would just come and, you know, place itself perfectly at that point. <clears throat> Today, 
the options are huge. And yet we find that the use of typography, except by very few people, it's as if I'll try whatever it is and then arrive at something. So the understanding of first principles, because it's no longer seen as essential, has actually gone further down the thing. Today, it's like, I don't need to know about anything because Google is there. Correct. I don't need to learn about anything because I can look it up on the net. But that looking it up on the net and understanding are two completely different things. So I think technology to a large extent has enabled you to acquire more knowledge. But I'm not sure that it's led to people actually acquiring more knowledge. Very interesting. I think we've become far less uh, inquisitive and far less curious about the world in general, mm. which is sad because compared to the 90s, the kind of work we had to do in background to try and understand a brand, mm. you would actually have to do physical work of going to a library, talking to so many people. Today, you can do that sitting at your desk. Mm. But I'm not sure that people are doing it because I don't see that amount of depth. And that is a point at which you start making connections and branding. See, that's the whole part. A brand is never on its own. It is the sum total of all the stresses and strains and the dynamism that exists in the market. Hmm. So it can't be an individual brand story because it's always, always like the rest of our life, impacted by so many other things that are happening at the same time. Fascinating. So let's talk, you know, we, when we started our conversation, we spoke a little bit about traditional agencies and the digital agencies. My question to you is that how is the digital ecosystem that has now come into advertising changing branding uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, uh, in an economy which is now being driven entirely by the consumer? See, I think one of the changes that has happened that technology has enabled is the speed of change. So I can now reach across, Google has ensured that people who have only 100 rupees to spend a day can still advertise, which could, which was simply not possible with the earlier set of things which were there. They have expanded the market far beyond what traditional media could do earlier. But at the same time, what it has led to is people seeing tens of thousands of ads more per day. So what we've become much better at is screening out advertising. So it's as if we have adapted seamlessly to being able to keep out anything that is not relevant to us. Mm. So we've become far better at, so the click-through rates, for example, which Google now refuses to publish mm -hmm. is below 0.01%. Correct. So essentially, the more the advertising, mm. the less the impact. Correct. Uh, the only other good part is that when it comes to specifics, for example, if it's a site which only retails um, surfboards and everything related to surfing, mm. then it becomes much easier to target that advertising if you have a product for that particular market. Mm. It means I don't have to spread it across 10 different markets. But if I'm doing chocolate, which applies to everyone, I still have to try and figure out where this whole thing <laughs> has to go. See, the, the thing is, this is a favorite example. The earlier, uh, you know, way you had to do it was you had one loaf, one, uh, let's say bar of butter and you had one loaf of bread. Mm. Now the number of loaves has increased exponentially, but the butter you have is still the same, right. which means now the trick has become where exactly do you apply the butter and where do you have to apply more and where do you have to just give it. 
Yes. And and also, you know, which particular application will give you the maximum return? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and this is a you know something that I've really understood that mind space is much harder to acquire than retail space, mm. and you'll never be you know it it can never be you can't permanently stay in the mind, which is why you need branding all the time. Mm. Fascinating. So I'm going to now move to another segment of our conversation, and I'll, I'll ask you a few different questions. Um, you know, you, you do a lot of writing and you do a lot of, uh, you know, you publish a lot, etc. My guests love to get to know a few things about my guest. Okay. You know, all my viewers and listeners said, you know, we need to get, so I, I have a few personal questions for you. Absolutely. My first question is that in a career which has been so successful in a life well lived, what would you say are three key milestones or pivot points in your life? I think it starts with essentially trying to figure out what you could do. Mm -hmm. When you're getting out of college, you don't know what your uh, what the future is. You Can know I... there are certain things. And this is one of those things. I think I was blessed to understand early on that writing was something that I could do. Mm -hmm. The question was, where would I apply? So I was in a sales job to begin with. Mm -hmm. But then I got into advertising pretty early on. That was in early 1984, 85, which is essentially where some part of the old stuff was still there and about a decade later the net would actually begin to make a big impact mm -hmm. so that is one pivot point the second point was in the understanding of film because i understood for example that uh, writing for different media was very different so if you were writing a radio script you had to create visuals in a person's mind if mm -hmm. you were writing an ad uh, you had to figure out exactly what would make people read. If you were creating a film, and this is the crazy part, when you were making a film, the film in your mind, the film that you, the script that you narrated to five people, mm -hmm. and then you, the one that you narrated to the filmmaker, and the one that would finally get made, mm -hmm. were actually versions of the same script. Okay. So, if, for example, to give you a very simple example, let's mm -hmm. say it says, the film starts with a couple in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Now, the moment I say couple in a restaurant, in your mind, there is a couple, either young or middle-aged, mm -hmm. and the restaurant that you have in mind, you already have ascribed a certain character to it. Correct. Depending on what you like, or depending on where you think this is placed. And then you move into the action. But until that script, that scene is captured on film, it remains a figment of somebody's imagination, mm. which is why I think uh, had the honor of <laughs> and the opportunity to create over a hundred ad films in this uh, you know, 30, 35 year old journey. Mm. But practically none of the films look the way I had originally thought of. Interesting. There mm. are very few that come exactly as what you uh, think of. And the third pivot point is actually the time when I went on my own. Like you said, creative director turned uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> business to look after the business. So this was entrepreneurship was forced upon me. So there was a situation where the partners left and there was a point where I had to take over the agency. And the rest of the team came and said that if you run the place, then you know we're willing to stick with you. Mm -hmm. And my whole point was that what are you putting your trust on? My <laughs> creative abilities may have 
you know, got me this far, but I'm not so sure about my business abilities because a creative person rarely has to bother about anything that happens in the business. Sure, front, sure, you know? sure. It's like, okay, that is one side you don't have to worry about. Very interesting. But, <laughs> but it came my way and I think I stumbled and I, uh, you know, but ultimately the ability to form relationships, the ability to reach out to people. Right. And I think the relationships that had formed over time, the network that I had created over time helped us continue and manage to build what we have. Incredible. So Venu, I have time for two more questions and I'm trying to decide what to ask you, <laughs> but I'm going to, uh, my next question to you is on failure. And I uh, asked this from many of my friends okay. who I talk to. Um, I've always again held a hypothesis that Indian parents or yeah. Asian parents don't teach children it's okay to fail. Yeah. They always true. taught first in class, head of the line, etc., etc. Right. And yet we fail. Right. So my question to you is: What have been some of your learnings from some of your mistakes? Failure, I think, is the default state of should. Success is the aberration. Correct. The problem is that I think we've transposed the two. We make everything about success. Mm. But the point about failure is, and, and that is the whole point. See, I think earlier when uh, I was in school, it wasn't wrong to fail. Yeah. You know, if somebody failed a couple of classes and then the thing. Today, we've made it shameful. Mm. So I think one of the problems with failure is that when you ascribe, when you attach shame to it, is when people stop learning. Mm. Uh, I think as long as you tell people it's fine to fail and it's fine, but it's bad not to have tried or not to try something new. The other thing that I find is that people are worried about stumbling. Mm. And we learn everything only through stumbles. The child learns to walk stumbling. You learn to drive a cycle after falling several times. Uh, even your job. You make mistakes and that's how you learn. Mm. So if you penalize for each one of those mistakes, there are two responses. One is that you will go the other extreme and not bother about what people tell you at all. The second is that you will fall into a shell. And I think at some point there is luck involved. Mm. I was very lucky that I came across, especially in the field that I'm in, which is advertising. If you work with the prima donnas who, can, who, who feel insecure, then you will never have you know, peace because it's permanently, you can be branded as whatever, but I had great people. Mm. So they were encouraging. And that is where I learned to be a creative director as well, because it's these two words are separate. There is creative and there's direction. Mm. And what a lot of people forget is the direction. So if you're a creative director, you have to not only tell people why you think an idea is good or bad, but when it works and when it doesn't. And why you think that mm. if you're not, <coughs> I'm sorry, if you're not able to separate the two, then you're not providing direction. You're making a judgment about creative. Mm. So I think that word itself, creative director is something about creating that direction in which that creative is supposed to evolve. To. Fascinating. And my last question to you, and this is for all the people who will listen to our conversation. And as I mentioned, a lot of them are very young people. What would your advice be to a young individual who's starting off on her or his journey in the advertising world? Okay, this actually, and I still haven't been able to better this, Ashutosh. Mm -hmm. I was on the panel for Micah, mm -hmm. and I was interviewing candidates 
for. So there was one particular girl. I I feel sad that I don't have a name right now, mm-hmm. but she was very good in the uh, group dynamics. And uh, the final question, that is, when you were interviewing the candidates personally, I you know when the candidate is is intelligent, you ask them questions which you think are so. Correct. People say, okay, what is it that I should be doing? <laughs> so my question to her was. advertising is so trivial it's about things that you know you and products and this and that and, mm-hmm. you know why would you want to devote your life to advertising and the answer she gave still rings in my ear she said how can something from which people understand their sense of identity be seen as true wow what a powerful statement yeah so i'm saying the best lessons i've learned are from young people mm. and i think if there's one parting shot it's like don't look at people who are 20 and 30 years older than you as a generation far removed but as people that you need to make friends with because they can cut your learning curve much faster if you're able to talk to people who are much older amazing when you thank you so much it's been such a pleasure speaking to you thank you for taking me down this amazing journey you have had in advertising and creation creativity Uh, and thank you for the amazing examples you've given us my pleasure thank It's you again it's been a wonderful thing being with thank you thank you for listening to the brand called you video cast and podcast a platform that brings you knowledge experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.